You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. How many of you want to be a wiser person who makes better decisions? Anybody? All right, I'm praying for the rest of you who didn't put your hands up, but we're going to get there. All right. Come on, we want to be people of wisdom, people who live with wisdom, who make who make wise decisions so that we can we can live God honoring lives. But I'll tell you, there's one thing I've discovered. The the more I live, the more life experience I get. And that is that often making the right decision is the result of asking better questions. If you ask better questions, often you make better decisions and you end up being a wise person. So what we're doing in this series is we're learning to ask ourselves a few questions that will help us make better decisions so we live with fewer regrets. So let me just recap where we've been, okay? In week one, we talked about a question called the integrity question, and here it is. Am I being honest with myself, really? That's a great question to ask yourself, very clarifying question. Last week, we talked about the legacy question, and here's that question. What story do I want to tell? As I recognize that my life is a story, what story do I want to be able to tell? Today, we're going to look at what's called the conscience question. The conscience question, and here it is, it's, is there a tension that deserves my attention? It's a really great question to ask yourself. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Now, what does that mean, tension? What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about an internal tension. In other words, is there an internal tension that I need to pay attention to before I make a decision? In the context of decision-making, sometimes we get a check in our spirit. Sometimes there's something in our conscience that, that bothers us, right? There's an internal tension, and we need to learn to sit with that and deal with it. Now, speaking of internal tensions, how many of you have ever gotten a check engine light on the dashboard of your car? Don't you hate when that happens? You get that check engine light, you know, and and uh, it's like, man, who has time for this? You know, what's this going to cost me? I don't have time to put my car in the shop. Back in the day when you had car problems, your engine started to make some kind of noise, and you just turned the radio up louder so you didn't have to hear it. Now you got a check engine light staring at you, and, and you got to deal with it, right? But how many of you know that the check engine light isn't actually the problem? The check engine light is pointing to a problem in your engine, something internal in your car that needs to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with it, the problem's only going to get worse. I have discovered this firsthand, personally. When I was in college, my very first car that I had was a 1996 Mercury Mystique. I affectionately refer to that car as the Mercury Mistake because that car drove me crazy. I had so many problems with that car. I had a lot of repairs. I sunk a lot of money into that car. And uh, so I, I used to commute. I used to drop, put some miles on that car because... Uh, I'm from New Orleans originally, but I went to Bible college in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so I would drive up, you know, for school. And then in between semesters, I would make the drive back from Dallas, back down to New Orleans to my family. And uh, there was one year, it was the the summer break of my senior year. Um, I got on the road, I was heading home, and I was just a few miles outside of Dallas, and I got a check engine light. And I'm like, oh, man. What am I going to do with this, right? I'm on the road. I'm just trying to get home. I don't know what to do. Like, hopefully I can just make it home and I'll deal with it later. So I tried to kind of ignore it. Driving down the road a little bit further, my air condition went from blowing cold to blowing completely hot. I was like, well, that's not a good sign. Like, this is bad, right? So I don't know what to do. I'm just driving down the road. And then a few miles down the road later, my engine begins to rumble and makes this terrible noise. And then it just loses power and I'm completely broken down. 
Now, later on, I found out from my mechanic that what had happened was is that my thermostat had gone bad, which caused my engine to overheat, and I blew a gasket head. Now, for those of you who aren't mechanically inclined, that's a pretty significant repair. That's like an engine rebuild, all right? Now, here's the, the, the point. The check engine light that I got that day was not the problem. It was the indicator of something much worse that was happening in my engine that needed to be addressed. And I think the same thing is true for us in life. Sometimes in life, especially in the context of making decisions, big decisions, small decisions, everyday decisions, sometimes we get a mental, emotional, or spiritual check engine light. It's, it's a check in your spirit. It's something in your conscience that troubles you. It's an inner tension. Come on, you ever, ever been in the midst of making a decision and just something seemed off about it? Like you didn't even know what it was. You couldn't quite put your finger on it, but something was off about it. We're talking about an internal Internal tension. Do I take this position or, or do I stay in my current position? Should I spend the money on this purchase, on this vacation, or should I, I save the money? Should I tell this person what I heard or should I keep it to myself? Should I swipe right on this person's dating profile or should I swipe left? Hello, come on, single people. Jesus, give us wisdom. God, give us wisdom in our decisions. Give us wisdom in our decisions. The tension is there for a reason. It's there for a reason. Something needs your attention. And I think often what we're tempted to do is rationalize these things, kind of explain them away, maybe even just ignore it like we would ignore a check engine light on on our dashboard. But what if that internal tension that you're experiencing is the prompting of a loving God who's trying to order your steps, a God who's trying to lead you in the path that he would have for you, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that wants the best for your life. And so remember, the inner tension is there. It's, point, it's a sign pointing to something that needs to be addressed, something in your life that needs to be addressed. So if you get a mental check engine line. If you get a spiritual check engine line, if there is some inner tension, here's what we want to encourage you to do. Pay attention to it. Ask yourself that question. Is there attention that deserves my attention? Give it your attention. Lean into it. Pay attention to it because it's there for a reason. And it may just save you from making a really bad, impulsive decision because we've all talked ourselves into bad decisions before, haven't we? Am I the only one? And so we got to learn to, to pay attention to it. Now, today, I want us to look at a story from the life of King David. King David, who was the greatest king in the history of Israel, where he experienced this very thing, an inner tension as he was in the midst of making a very important decision. In just a moment, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 24, but let me summarize a little bit of David's story for the sake of time. So King David steps onto the pages of history as a young shepherd boy when he is anointed king. He's basically a nobody when he's anointed king by the prophet Samuel. There's only one problem. Israel already had a king, and his name is King Saul. But King Saul had become rebellious and disobedient, and so God had rejected him as king and chosen David to be the next king of Israel. Now, David remains relatively a Anonymous until a very famous episode in his life where he had a showdown with a giant named Goliath. We've all heard of the David and Goliath story. It's popular in, in our culture. And so David has this showdown where he kills Goliath and he becomes an overnight 
celebrity. He goes from being a nobody to a somebody. Everybody knows his name. He ends up on the king's radar and King Saul's radar, who recruits him to become a great warrior. And next thing you know, he's fighting battles against Israel's arch enemy, the Philistines. He's fighting on behalf of the king, and he's having so much victory and success that the women in the villages are singing this song on the streets. Saul has slayed his thousands. David has slayed his tens of thousands. And King Saul begins to become very jealous of David. He's threatened by, by David's success. And he begins to think that, that he's becoming so popular, the only thing that's left is for him to become king. The people are going to make him king. And so he becomes paranoid. And all this culminates in a couple episodes where, where King Saul actually tries to kill David. He throws a spear at him twice. Now, luckily, King Saul was either a bad aim or David was really shifty because he misses twice and David runs away and becomes a fugitive and he ends up living out in the wilderness. As he's out in the wilderness, all of these men begin to flock to him, people who are disgruntled, people who had grievances against the kingdom, people who had outstanding debts. They all begin to flock to David, about 400 men, and they see him as their leader. So here's David. He's out in the wilderness living in caves with these men and he's being hunted by King Saul. King Saul decides to hunt David down because he perceives that as long as David is alive, he's a threat to his kingdom and to his legacy. And that's where we pick our story up today in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, doesn't that just sound like a place that you would hide out in an Old Testament story, the crags of the wild goats? <laughs> look at verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Yes, that means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Okay, so here's David. He's out in the wilderness with his men, with these other fugitives, and they're, in, they're, they're hiding out in caves. In fact, we have a picture uh, for you uh, from the desert of En Gedi. This is not far from the Dead Sea. I've actually been to this region of Israel, and uh, it, this story is very believable because this whole area is just littered with caves all over the place. And so when you're there, like this story kind of comes alive to you because you can totally picture David hiding out in one of these caves. And, and so... David's hiding out with his men, and Saul comes through with this army of 3,000 men, which was a very large army at the time. They're hunting David down when King Saul has to do a number two. And when the king has to do a number two, the whole army has to stop. If you have to do a number two, they're not stopping for you. But for the king, the whole army has to stop. Oh, come on, church. We've got to have fun. This is the Bible, okay? And so King Saul's got to go to the party. So they stop. He goes into this cave, the very cave where David is hiding out with his men. I know it's crazy, right? And they're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is the hand of God. What do his men say to him? Verse four, like this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Can you imagine what David felt in that position? Like, can you imagine having your enemy in a more vulnerable position than popping a squat right in front of you? Okay. And in verse 4, his men like recognize this, this opportunity that they've been waiting for. And they're like, this is the hand of God. Like God has delivered Saul into your hands. Like killing Saul seems like it would be the expedient thing to do. 
the, the right move, right? You just creep up and, 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 and kill this guy, just slit his throat. I mean, David was an experienced warrior. That'd be no big deal for him. There's not going to be any bloody civil war. There's not going to be thousands of people who are going to lose their lives. Just kill one person. And most likely, David will be proclaimed king. And this whole drama is over with. And at first, I think the decision to kill Saul sounds pretty good to David. But how many of you know that often what initially seems good to us isn't necessarily God's best for us? Uh, let me say that again. Often what initially seems good to us isn't necessarily God's best for us. Often what seems expedient, often what seems convenient, often what seems the easiest thing to do. I wonder if there's anybody in this place who's walked with God long enough to know that often what initially seems like the, the good decision, the best decision for us, isn't necessarily God's best for us. In fact, the writer of Proverbs said this, Proverbs fourteen twelve. He said, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Wow. And that's always one of those scriptures that, that causes me to kind of stop in my tracks. That scripture gets my attention because that tells me that oftentimes people make a decision that seems convenient, that seems like it's best to them, but it leads to death and destruction. I mean, let's put it this way. Nobody means to screw up their life. Nobody intentionally says, I'm going to make decisions that destroy my health. I'm going to make a bad decision that will ruin my marriage. I'm going to make a string of decisions that will lead to me ending up in, in bankruptcy. Like hardly anybody intentionally means to end up in those places. It happens as a result of people thinking they're doing the right thing. We all know someone who thought they were doing the right thing only for it to lead to, to really bad things happening, to a lot of disastrous consequences. Like, oh, I don't know, um, this relationship, oh, this relationship is, is harmless. It's, it's just a friendship. I would never do anything to jeopardize my marriage. It's, it's, just, it's just a friendship. Oh, it's not an addiction. No, 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 it's just a coping mechanism. It's just, it's just something I do to take the edge off. It's, it's, I, I can stop whenever I want to. I can stop whenever I want to. Oh, I know technically I can't afford this purchase, but I can always put it on my credit card and just make payments. Famous last words. Come on, often... What seems like the right decision, the easy decision, the convenient decision does not always represent God's best for us. We have an amazing capacity to deceive ourselves, don't we? We talked about this in week one. The human heart, we have an amazing capacity to deceive ourselves, to even talk ourselves into some really bad decisions. Now, back to our story for just a moment. David knows the obvious move here. He's an experienced warrior. He knows the obvious move in this situation. He knows that most likely, as soon as Saul is dead, he's going to be proclaimed king. Even more, he feels pressure from his men who are following him, who are living like fugitives, to end this whole thing and just kill Saul right here on the spot. But as he creeps up to slit Saul's throat, he feels an inner tension. He feels an inner tension. He feels a check in, in his spirit. David recognizes this is murder. Like, I'm about to kill the king. I'm not killing Saul defending myself. I'm not killing Saul in, in the context of a valiant battle. Like, I'm about to murder the king. And David knows that this decision is going to follow him for the rest of his life. It'll define the rest of his life. Maybe he even thinks back to the legacy question of last week. Like, what story am I going to tell? Maybe he pictures himself telling this story for the rest of his life. His grandchildren coming to him and saying, Grandpa, tell us the story of how you became king. Well, this one time, King Saul went into the cave to do a number two, and I slid up behind his, his throat, right? Like, no, that story doesn't, doesn't tell well. 
That story doesn't play well. And so he, he, he feels this tension. David recognizes that he's about to make a decision that he is going to regret for the rest of his life, even though it's justified, even though Saul deserves it, even though it might likely save a, a bloody civil war and, and very likely he would become king. He pays attention to the tension. He sits with it and he lets it bother him. So what happens? Let's look at this. First Samuel 24, verses 4 through 7. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. There it is. There's the inner tension. David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So here's David. He, he feels this inner tension. And instead of cutting Saul's throat, he cuts a little piece, the corner of his robe off. And even in doing that, he feels conscience stricken. And his men are like, look, if you won't do the job, we'll take care of it for you. And he's like, no, we're not going to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. And David makes a really wise decision. Now, here's the thing we have to realize. We're reading this story from our vantage point, and we know how the story plays out. Even if you don't know all the details, we know that David will eventually become king. We call him King David for a reason. We know that he will go down in history as one of the greatest kings in the history of all of Israel. But here's reality. David doesn't know that. David doesn't know how the story is going to play out. David is experiencing the story in in real time, right? He doesn't know if he's ever going to become king. Like, this seemed like his opportunity. And how long is he going to live like a fugitive? He did nothing to deserve this. He's innocent, right? How long will his men stay loyal to him? Is he going to have a mutiny on his hands? Like, how long will he have to be, will he have to wait to be king? Is he going to be like Simba and Lion King just sitting around? Oh, I just can't wait to be king, right? Like, how long is this going to take? He doesn't know. And now that song's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. When you experience an inner tension, here's the point. Making the God-honoring decision means you have to be willing to trust him with the consequences. Making the God-honoring decisions means you have to be able to trust him with the consequences. That's what David did. David didn't know how this was going to play out. David didn't know how long he was going to have to wait. David didn't know the end of his story, but he trusted God with the, with the results because outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. So what does that look like for us in the context of decision-making, in the context of an internal decision? God, I'm walking away from this business deal because I don't have a piece about it. Something's not right here, and I may lose some money, but God, I trust that outcome is your responsibility. Obedience is is mine. God, I'm breaking off this, this relationship because it hasn't been a God-honoring relationship, but I trust that you're a good God, and you've got somebody better in store for me. And outcome is your responsibility. Obedience is mine. God, I'm going to tell the truth in this situation. It may not, it may not be easy. I may face some consequences. I may face some, some pushback, but God, I'm going to do the right thing and tell the truth and trust that outcome is your responsibility and obedience is mine. God, I'm trusting you with the results. I'm trusting you with the results. I'm going to make the best God-honoring decision I can make, and I'm going to put the consequences in, in your hands. What happens next is amazing. Look at this, verse 8 through 10, then we'll skip to verse 12. And David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, 
Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Then look at verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done, but my hand will not touch you. Wow, this is amazing. So so Saul leaves and uh, David comes out and I would visualize that David waits for Saul to be a little bit of a distance, kind of a safe space. And and he cries out to the king, my Lord, the king, who's actually his father-in-law. He was married to, to Saul's daughter. And he says, why are you believing these people who are manipulating you that that are telling you that I have something against you, that I want to do you harm. Like this very day, here's the evidence. You came into this cave. God delivered me into, into my hands. And, and he's probably holding that, that corner of, of Saul's robe in his hand. Can't you see that God delivered you into my hands this very day? And I did not lay a hand on you. And then I love verse 12. Look at this again. He says, may the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. In other words, David says, like, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to let God be the judge. I trust that God's got me, and I'm putting this in, in, in his hands. And I just wish there was somebody in this room today who would remember that one day when you're in a conflict, that this story would come back to, to remembrance. I wonder if there are any New Yorkers in here who you were raised in a way, you were taught if somebody hits you, you hit them back. You don't take nothing off of anybody, Right? And that is, that's kind of the default of human nature. If somebody gossips about us, we're going to gossip back. If they hit us, we're going to hit them back. We're going to stand up for ourselves. I wish somebody in this room would remember this principle. May the Lord judge between me and you. I'm not getting caught up in your drama. If you talk about me, I'm not talking about you. If you post about me, I'm not posting about you. I'm going to put it in God's hands and let it go because I trust that God is a good and righteous judge. He's in charge of the universe and he's got this. It would save some of you some drama. It would save some of you some, some emotional, some emotional pain to say, may the Lord judge between me and you and just walk away. Just walk away. And how does Saul respond? Look at this, verse 17 and verse 20. Here's what Saul says to David. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Wow. Saul is convicted. He's convicted by the humility of David. He recognizes that the hand of God is truly on David. And, and so he says, in front of everybody there, can you imagine in front of the armies, I know surely you will be king. And then he leaves. Like, what do you do when the person you've been hunting down with 3,000 men, you know, and you're trying to kill them, and they have you like right where they want you, and they don't kill you? It's kind of anticlimactic. I think Saul kind of looked around and was like, okay, boys, let's go home. Like, what do we do now, Right? It's like, there's nothing to do but just leave and go home. So Saul leaves. Fast forward a few chapters to chapter 31. And Saul is in battle with his sons and with the army of Israel against the Philistines. And the battle is raging and the battle is not going well for King Saul. He's losing a lot of men. And the, the, the scripture tells us that a, an archer shoots an arrow and it hits Saul and he's mortally wounded. And the scripture tells us that he falls on his sword, which is another way of saying that he stabbed himself because he didn't want the Philistines to, to gloat over him or take responsibility for his death. And so the scripture tells us that Saul and all of his sons, including Jonathan, who was a dear friend of David, they're all killed in battle. And not long after that, David is proclaimed king. Get this, David becomes king without laying a hand on King Saul. 
Imagine that. Get, get this perspective here, right? David becomes king without laying a hand on King Saul. And I wonder in that moment when he was proclaimed king, if he ever thought back to the episode in the cave and thought, you know, that would have been a lot easier decision had I known how everything it was going to play out. And I wonder for you and me, what if the inner tension you're feeling is the prompting of a loving God who sees what you cannot see? Come on, the God who sees chapter 31 when you're on chapter 24, a God who's working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, a God who's able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in your life. A God who sees what you cannot see. A God who sees a few chapters ahead of you in your life and he's ordering your steps and he's working out his good and perfect plan for your life. If we would just pay attention to the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit and sit with that tension. And so let me just give you a few practical points that you can put in your notes today. We'll end with this. When you're experiencing an inner tension in the midst of a decision and you're experiencing a, some inner conviction, there's a, there's a spiritual check engine light. There's some, some tension there. Here's the first thing. Number one, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Acknowledge it. There's a tension. I need to deal with this. Slow down. Just slow the process down. Whatever happens, don't ignore it. Like, let it bother you for a little while. Lean into it because remember, it's pointing to something that you need to address and it's there for a reason. Pay attention to it. Number two, when you're experiencing an inner tension, number two, invite God into it. Invite God into that tension. Seek his voice through prayer. Seek his voice in scripture. Come on, the will of God is found in the word of God. If you want to know the will of God, get your nose into the word of God and you'll know his will. Go after God. Invite him into that, that tension. The prayer team is going to be available to pray for you today after service. We would love to pray for you if you're in the midst of making a decision. Come join us this Wednesday night for seven o'clock. We're going to go after God and his will. We want to hear his voice for our lives in, in this new year. Seek godly wisdom in the form of trusted believers, other believers who can give you good godly advice. Can I just encourage you today? Be careful who you surround yourself with. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Remember King Saul had some people, I mean, David had some people around him in the cave who gave him some really bad advice, okay? And so get some, get some godly people around you. Get some other believers around you. Maybe find somebody who's walked with Jesus a little bit longer than you, who can speak wisdom into your life and help you make the right decision. And then here's the third thing, number three, make the wise decision and trust, the God, and trust God with the rest. In the, in the context of a intertention, making a decision, make the wise decision and trust God with the rest. You can trust God with the results. But what if I make the wrong decision? I think sometimes that's our fear. Like, Pastor, there have been times that I prayed and still made the wrong decision. And I, and I know that happens. Can I just encourage you today? Even if you get it wrong, God knows how to bring good things out of wrong turns. Come on, he's a redemptive God. He knows how to bring good things even out of wrong turns. The GPS of heaven knows how to reroute your life and get you back on the right track, going in the direction you need to go to. Some of you have lived long enough and you can say, God has redeemed some of the wrong turns of my life and found a way to get me back on his path. And so we're going to make the best decision that we know how to make. And we're going to put the results into the hands of our good God. And so David leaned into the tension that day. He made the God-honoring decision, and it changed his life. It not only changed his future, but it changed his life. Church, can I just tell you today, there are some decisions that you will make in life that will not only determine where you end up in life, but who you become in the process. And I say that to you again, because I've lived this. I've lived this. There are some decisions that you will make in life that will not only determine 
where you end up in life, but who you become in the process. See, I've lived this because years ago, I was hurt by somebody that I looked up to. I was hurt by a mentor. I was hurt by somebody that I loved. And I had an opportunity to get even. I had an opportunity to tell my side of the story. And people would have listened to me and people would have resonated that with that and people would have believed me. I could have exposed this other person. I had options. Come on, how many of you know what I mean when I say I had options? I had options, but there was an inner tension. There was an inner tension through prayer, through reading God's word, through crying out to God for wisdom in this situation, through surrounding myself with godly men who could speak wisdom into my life. I recognized that there was a tension around this situation and it was not my job to get even. It wasn't my job to tell my side of the story. It was my job to honor and walk away. That's what God asked me to do. And it wasn't the easy thing. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do up up until that point. But I had to say, let the Lord judge between me and you. Putting this situation in your hands. And I walked away. And can I just tell you today, that decision not only changed the trajectory of my ministry, not only changed the course of my life, but it changed me in the process. Changed my heart. Changed my character. It changed my trust in God. And I'm telling you, I would not be the same person today. There are some decisions that you make in life that not only determine where you end up in life, business decisions, career decisions, the way we treat people. We're so worried sometimes about our options and where we're going to end up. No, 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 no. Some of the decisions you're making, they're about who you're becoming in the process. They're about you becoming more of the person that God is calling you to be. And it may not be the easy thing, but I want to encourage you, make the right decision. Make the God-honoring decision because it'll change It'll change your life. You'll, you'll never regret making the God-honoring decision, even if it's not inconvenient. Even if it's, even if it's inconvenient, even if it costs you something, you cannot put a price tag on living with the peace of God in your life. Sometimes you make the right decision and it gets harder before it gets easier. We talked about that last week, but you cannot put a price tag on living with the peace of God in your life and, and not living with the burden of regret. And so some of you, you're facing a decision right now. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with God's help? We're going to, we're going to pay attention to that inner tension. We're going to pay attention to what's going on inside of our hearts. We're going to pay attention to that spiritual, emotional, men, emotional, mental check engine light. And we're going to pray for wisdom. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God's voice. We're going to surround ourselves with some godly people who can speak words of wisdom into our lives. We're going to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're going to make the best decision that we know how to make and that we can say, it is well with my soul. Amen. And so we're going to pray into that today. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me this morning. In just a few moments, the worship team is going to come back and later on we're going to dismiss you in prayer and the team is going to be available to pray with you today. But would you just pray with me right now? I know many of you are facing decisions. I know all of us were endeavoring and seeking to be wiser people. And so let's ask God to help us with this. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for scripture. That's something from thousands of years ago. You take it and you make it come alive to us. And it's so relevant to our lives today. And so God, today we are inviting you into our decisions. God, there are some people in the room right now who are facing decisions. There are situations and they're experiencing an inner tension. And Lord, today you're helping them realize it's there for a reason. There's been, there's been a check in their spirit, God. There's been something in their conscience, God. There's been a spiritual check engine light. And God, today we recognize that that, that, that check engine light may very well be the voice of the Holy Spirit, your voice, God, as you are endeavoring to lead us and guide us into your plan for our lives. And so today, God, we're asking you for wisdom 
Lord, we're asking you for wisdom. We thank you that the scripture says those who, who ask for wisdom, God, you want to give it. You want to give that to us today. And Lord, today, whatever happens, we're going we're gonna to make the God-honoring decision, even if it's not easy, and we're going to trust you with the results. God, we know that, that you have a way of even bringing good things out of, out of wrong turns. God, you're redeeming some wrong turns in our lives, and you're getting us back on the path that you would have for us. And so we trust you, God. We know that obedience is our responsibility, and outcome is yours. So, Lord, we're going to choose to do the right thing. Put the consequences in your hands. Trust you, not only with the choices, but with our very lives, so that we can say, it is well with my soul. We thank you for it, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.